Welcome to the Rescue Church Podcast. This is Pastor Sarah Levecki, and this is the recording of our most recent Sunday sermon. We hope you enjoy. We've been talking about how Jesus interacts with people. Remember that? People come to Jesus with the problem, and then Jesus goes, oh, actually, you know the real problem? <laughs> you actually, you're the problem. <laughs> people are like, you know, I thought I was praying, Jesus. <laughs> you know, like, you know, like, you know, a guy comes and goes, you know, my brother won't won't give me the inheritance. You know, you know, the, and, and Jesus goes, be careful of greed. <laughs> he addresses the heart issue. And that's the good thing about God is that we can come to him as we are. We don't have to stay that way. And he loves us enough to address really the thing that would try to hold us hostage and leave us in bondage. And, and a lot of people don't want to take the risk of saying something meaningful because if they offend you, they feel like they lose you. But if I offended you, I never had you anyway. You know, some people were sad when people leave here. I don't get sad. You know why? Because most of the time people are gone before they leave. And, and you know, it's really difficult to love who's here if I'm sad about who left. You know, you love people when they're here. You give people your best. You, you try to help them. But I'm not losing sleep over other people's choices. And I encourage you not, not to really internalize other people's choices because it'll drive you crazy. So anyway, I want to talk to you today about Jesus and Scripture. Now, I want to just really be clear, just, just so that I may offend you, but I won't confuse you. We, we believe that the Bible is the word of God. We're kind of old school. We believe, like, if you're a man, you're a man. It's like, you know, like, it's kind of dangerous. But we, we actually believe that, you know, old school stuff. And uh, so anyway, I want to talk to you. Now, this is Jesus speaking to the religious Pharisees who were always giving him really a hard time. Okay, the only people that Jesus went hard on are two people, his disciples, because he was forming himself in them and he was going to entrust the gospel to them. So he went hard on them, but in love. And then the other group of people that Jesus went hard on wasn't sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners. No, but was the religious people who thought that they were better than people. So he goes hard on them. People that think, I don't need God. I'm better than you. These are the people that Jesus kind of opens up on. So he says, you search. And they were mad because he was healing people on the Sabbath. It's like if you go to the hospital and, and they give you, they, get, they treat you and you get well. And then you're mad at the doctor. Or you go to Carlos and you get a haircut. And in 28 minutes and 36 seconds, you get a fresh haircut and you leave. And you look good. And then you're upset that he cut your hair. But you went, you went to him to get a haircut. Why are you upset with him? This is the same thing. Jesus is in church. He's in the synagogue healing people on the Sabbath. And the religious people are driven crazy by him. You know why? Because he has power and they don't. He has the ability to demonstrate the kingdom of God and they don't. So his faith and his authority and his power unmasks their Lack of power, lack of authority, and lack of understanding. So this is really a threatening thing to them. They feel very threatened by Jesus. Imagine feeling so threatened by someone who is really nonviolent. <laughs> you're, so, you're so threatened by a cheek turner. 
someone who's merciful, someone who wants to heal you and feed you. That's really, that shows the real deep insecurity that people have, you know. So anyway, he says this, you search for uh, the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are which testify of me. So the scriptures have to bring us into a real encounter and a living relationship with the resurrected Jesus. So I don't, I don't read the Bible so I can be more mean and more religious and more judgmental. I read the Bible to come into a relationship and an encounter with the living Christ that brings transformation to my life so that I can carry that transformation to people who want it and need it. And people want it and need it. We're living in a time where, you know, DK and I just, we did a podcast. We're going to air it next week. I had, I had a gym, a gym bro DM me. How do you handle sadness? And is it like, do you feel overwhelmed by it? Like, how do you handle? So we did a whole podcast based on someone who is not even really a believer, but he wants to know how to really handle stuff. And this is someone who says, I've been in therapy two years, someone who's being humble and forthright. So this is the world is crying out for help. I don't know if, if you realize that. All that, all that, you know, I hate myself, I want to change my gender, I hate this, I hate that, I want to do it. All of that are people with pain crying out for help, and Jesus is the solution, just so you know. All right, now, Jesus is fully God and fully man. You know the prophecy of Isaiah that from a virgin, a child is born, that is speaking of his humanity. A son is given, that is speaking of his deity. Fully God, fully man. Scripture is also fully God and fully man. What do I mean by that? I mean that God inspired Scripture. Jesus did not write Scripture. Men wrote Scripture. Men penned Scripture. Men translated Scripture. So that, the, that part of it is fully human. right? Jesus did not put this in a leather binding and send it to me from England. Jesus did not do that. But what Jesus did do is brought inspiration to the hearts of holy men and holy women who were set apart for his purposes. So this is very important because an attack on scripture is an attack on Jesus. You have living words on a dead page. Tell me that's not the cross. Someone heard me? <laughs> Someone heard me? How do you, you got to get a tree dead. To get these pages, you got to kill a tree and you have living words on a dead page. So let me say this to you, that when people come against the scripture, it's because they are coming against the authority of God because they don't want to be accountable and they don't want to submit to God because they don't either believe he's real or they think he's not good. And they don't understand that he has your best interest at heart. No one eternally will have your best interest at heart like God. Anyone who tells you the absolute truth to your face is someone who cares about you. People that will play you out and manipulate you will lie to you. This book, it doesn't matter who you are, pastor, barber, Indian chief, you open this book, this book is going to deal with you. This is why people want to do podcasting, YouTubing, and every other thing. They don't want to open this book because when they open this book, you don't read this book, this book reads you. Why is this book illegal in so many countries? 
a book that teaches you to turn your other cheek, be merciful, love people, love your enemy. Why is it so illegal? Because it has the power to break the control that people have over other people. So if this book was used to manipulate or control people, that's, a, that's, not, a, that's not a good administration of this book. So I'm not going to reject Jesus because people misrepresented him. What if someone comes to me and misrepresents you and then all of a sudden now I reject you because you've been misrepresented to me? Is that fair? No, it's not fair. So it's not wise to reject Jesus because people misrepresented him. And it's very important that we represent him well in, in this age. Now, before we get started, we need a mutual understanding. We need to know what Jesus says about Scripture. If our minds are going to be renewed, right, and we're going to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, red letters. Red letters. I want to know what does Jesus think or what does Jesus say about something? Because if I'm a disciple of Jesus, if Christ is being formed in me, if I'm being transformed into his image and likeness, which is image is the word icon. So when you have an icon on your phone, you press the icon and what is in the app comes out. So if I'm becoming an icon of Jesus, that means that when I get pressed, Jesus should come out. So if I don't put that in, what's going to come out? The devil. Thank you, Harry. <laughs> we can always count on you for some honesty. Okay. Uh, we want you to know what does Scripture say about Scripture. Like the Bible talks about itself. It says that the Scriptures were written for our comfort that we might have hope and patience. So that means do I go to the Scripture for comfort? Because the promises of God will cause you to hold on when you really, really want to let go. And the scripture will also teach you sometimes it's actually time to let go and let God. It's kind of cliche-ish, but sometimes you have to actually let go and really entrust something to the Lord because you cannot do it. You cannot control it and you cannot make someone choose the right way. You can just love them and be patient with them and be kind to them and be honest with them, but you cannot do it for them. That's one of the great challenges that my wife and I experience. We want people to get well more than people want to get well. Because we see potential in people that people are unable to see in themselves. Because when you're caught up in something, you, you can't see, you become short-sighted. And there's three things that make someone short-sighted, and they're very prevalent in our culture. Fear. Fear makes you short-sighted. Fear will curse your future. Lust. I have to have it now. I've got to have her now. I've got to have this now. I've got to have that now. Now, now, now. That makes someone short-sighted. Impatience. That makes someone short-sighted. You, you want to get somewhere too fast and you destroy yourself and your family on the way. So those, there's things. So anyway, Scripture interprets Scripture. So you, you don't really, my opinion of Scripture really doesn't matter. What really matters is what the Scripture says about the Scripture. Okay? Feelings and opinions are not the standard for the church. The Word of God is. So, for example, I'll use my wife because she's here. If in our home we don't have a standard, guess what becomes a standard? My desires, her desires, her feelings, my feelings. 
how the world feels about us, how your mother-in-law feels about you. Everyone else's feelings and everyone else's perceptions and everyone's desires become the governing factor. But the thing with that is that there's no, there's no so solidarity, there's, no, there's nothing solid, there's nothing consistent, there's no continuity because people are up one day, down another day, I want this now, that now. But now in our home we have a standard that is agreed upon, so we're moving in the direction of that standard. We're holding us accountable and our children accountable to that standard, not feelings, standard. So without an agreed upon standard... Everything is left to a subjective how I felt about or what I want to do, and there's nothing solid. So if you don't agree on something solid, it would be like you speaking French, me speaking Japanese, and you're speaking French, and you're yelling at me in French, and I'm yelling at you in Japanese, and you're yelling back, and I'm yelling, and there's no communication, there's no unity, there's no alignment, there's no understanding, there's no intimacy, and there's no movement, because there's no mutual understanding with an agreed-upon language and agreed-upon standard. If you want unity in your home, if you want alignment in your home, if you want peace in your home, if you want understanding in your home, there has to be a standard. And so for us, I cannot enforce the standard on you. It's, it's your life. For us, this is our standard. So we go back to not how I feel, but what does the scripture call me to? What does Jesus say? That's really important. Okay. People don't like standards and absolutes because they don't like accountability. People like the fruits of accountability, which is living in the fullness of your ability, <laughs> but they don't like accountability. They don't like to be held to the line. You want to win a competition, but you do not want to be held to the standard. This is how many people think. This is, you see this with, with their view of money. The, the presupposition in our culture today is if you have money, you're evil which is a delusional idea. It's a really delusional idea because somebody went to work. Is slavery real? Was oppression real? Absolutely. But you know what? There's millions of slaves today and people are still in bondage. So, so you have to eventually make a choice in, in, in letting God renew your mind so that you understand reality. Because we live with presuppositions that are actually deception. So if you think that someone, oh, they're poor, they're lazy, or oh, they're rich, they're evil, those are presuppositions that are, that are not, they're not wise. Using huge generalizations, that's not wise. If you communicate like that, you'll cut yourself off from relationships where you could learn something where someone could help you. I'm just, just saying that to you. Okay, now, you will never live in the fullness of your ability without accountability. What is the role of Scripture in the life of Christ? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever considered, like, how did Jesus come to the Old Testament? How did Jesus approach the holy writings, the prophets, the law? How did he, I mean, he's the Word of God, but like, yet Jesus quotes Scripture all the time. And this is what I want to get into. Okay, now, for those of you who trust the science, we have science trusters. Remember that? That was, that was a slogan. Double mask, triple vax, afraid of everything, trust the science. Okay, let me, let me give you something on the, the science, guys. There is three, over 300, 351 messianic prophecies concerning Jesus. 
the probability of fulfilling eight of them is this number. Isaac Brett, can you, can you tell me that number? As I'm not that smart. I don't know that number. Once we leave trillions, I don't know. Huh? Infinity? Quintillion. Send the Koreans. Okay. This is a mathematical equation of the probability of Jesus fulfilling eight of 351 messianic prophecies. This is for the science guys. This is for people who are like smart, like Roshan, who will get in the back of your computer faster than you can pour coffee. <laughs> this is insane, the probability. That's eight of them. Jesus fulfilled 351 of them. Amen. So let's say you're here today, but you're struggling with faith. Maybe you're struggling. Hey, people have misrepresented Jesus. You're struggling. L let's talk about the transformation of a symbol. The cross in, in first century Palestine, in first century Rome, in the Roman Empire, the cross was a symbol of death. This is historically true, just so you know. I'm not making this up. This is, and this is not in the Bible. Through the resurrection, the cross becomes a symbol of life, healing, and hope. And you go and you see ambulances, and you see hospitals. You know who built hospitals? Christians build hospitals. So I thought, you know, th this is historically accurate. Do you know in Syria, which is a, is a predominantly Muslim country today, do you know in Syria, the Syrian government gives Christians, even though they're persecuted, three days off for Easter? So I'm just letting you know, because we, we we, one of the things the church is short-sighted, the church does not know that history is on its side. Someone comes to me, a Muslim guy, I was preaching the gospel to him. He goes, oh, are you Muslim? Are you Muslim? He says, I'm because of my beard. Are you Muslim? I go, do you know that Christians had this beard 600 years before Muslims existed? <laughs> oh, that makes great sense. Yeah, it does make sense. That's true. We had, do you know that 2,000 years ago on Straight Street where Monica was preaching her first sermon over here? On worship, we got a lot of preachers. I can take good vacations and sabbaticals because we have, we've got preachers here. I mean, we've got preachers. So, so 2,000 years ago, where Paul, who was Saul at the time, where he received his sight from Ananias when he went and laid hands on him and blindness and scales fell from his eye. Do you know that the Syrian Orthodox Church, that their headquarters is still on Straight Street? History is on our side. But if you're short-sighted and you don't know that, you, 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 know, you, you go crazy because you see a little chaos in the American economy and you go, oh my God, the world is ending. And let me tell you, the world existed before America and the world will exist after America. If, 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 if it comes to that, just, just to encourage you to know. Anyway, so this is, this is really important because history is on our side. Now, do you remember when ISIS was on a rampage? Remember they were going? Do you remember that? All of a sudden, it just disappeared from the news cycle. But, but they were on a rampage. And you know they were going into Nineveh? You know Nineveh, Jonah? You know that? A, a, a city with major Christian artifacts. And they were destroying the history. Because the enemy wants people to forget their history, so he curses their future. Don't ever forget where you came from, and don't ever forget what God did for you. Don't ever forget. You may be better off, but you're not better than nobody. Don't ever forget where you came from. <laughs> 
Jesus is trustworthy. Scripture is reliable. The question is not, is Scripture reliable? The question is, are you reliable? <laughs> if people come to this with judgment, it will judge you. Be careful how you speak to the judge. Watch your mouth when you're in court. Don't go mouthing off to the judge. Now, the question is not, is Jesus trustworthy? The question is, are you trustworthy? Here, here's the thing. If I, I'll use myself as an example. So people are like, oh, he's talking about me. If I don't do what I say, why should you listen to what I say? Why should what I say matter if I don't do what I say? So if you don't do what you say, why should we take seriously what you say? So, be, so if you want to be a person of the word, be a person of your word. Follow through. And if you don't, say, hey, I missed it. I dropped the ball. I fumbled. All right, cool. Nobody's perfect. But now, what do you say and pray in critical moments? When the pressure is on, make sure to pray and watch Watch what you say. Because you may just get what you say. <laughs> you may just eat the fruit of your own lips. One day the Lord asked me, how would you feel if I gave you what you're speaking? Would you like if I gave you what is coming out of your mouth? So I'm, I'm saying this not in a sense of judgment, but a sense of, you know what James says, that the tongue is an unruly fire. <laughs> so, so watch that you don't burn your house down with your tongue. Many people will burn their house down with their tongue. So be careful. Many times we can break with our mouth what we're trying to build with our prayers. All right? Now, when Jesus was face to face with the devil, let, let's go there. Uh, Luke Let's go there quickly. Luke 3, 4, excuse me, Luke 4. Uh, then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward when he ended, he was hungry. So the devil said, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God or every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, Matthew's gospel says. So this is important because what it, Jesus is having a face-to-face -face encounter with the Satan. In Isaiah, we learn that fasting looses the bonds of wickedness. So Jesus didn't have any, so Satan shows up. <laughs> uh, so anyway, fasting, when I, when I, let's say I fast, I'm not, by starving myself, I'm not changing God's mind. What I'm saying is that God is more important than my food. I'm putting, it's another expression of putting him first and learning to say no to yourself. And it's, it's, it removes unbelief. Because look, if when God speaks to you, you don't move. When you speak to demons, they won't move. So, so you have authority to the, to the level and to the degree of your submission. So if your life is not submitted to Jesus, you don't have Jesus' authority, you know? So anyway, so the devil appears, and if you remember correctly, right before this scene, Jesus went into the, in, into the river Jordan to be baptized. Remember that? And what does God the Father say? God the Father says, this is my well-beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The very next thing that the enemy comes for is the prophetic word over his life, and Jesus responds with the written word. 
Jesus doesn't go, well, you don't know this prophecy I just got <laughs> at John the Baptist's conference. Jesus says, it is written. It is written. Deuteronomy 8, 3. It is written that man shall not live by bread alone. So the attack on his identity was an attack on his destiny. Yeah? You overcome by the word. By the blood of the Lamb, the word of your testimony, and they love not their lives unto death, which is the part that the American church always leaves out of that verse. They'll be like, you overcome by your testimony. And by the word. And they love not their lives unto death. Yeah, let's, let's just add that, that in, because that's the most critical part of it all. Loving Jesus more than your own life. <laughs> so anyway, so the devil shows up, and he comes for the word. He comes to steal the word because the word is how you overcome. How did he get Eve in the garden? He twisted. He, he made her think that God did not have her best interests at heart. That God was somehow withholding something from her. And she already had what Satan was offering. She just didn't know it. They were already like God. They were already created in the image and likeness of God. And they walk with God in the cool of the day. They were as much like God as they would ever be. And there was no sin. So the enemy comes to attack what will cause you to overcome. Right? When, when let's say someone gets arrested, what, what do they do? They cuff you. They break you so that your ability to resist is very limited. So what does the enemy do? Same principle. He comes and goes, oh, what did God say? Oh, if you're the son of God, prove yourself. Prove yourself. And what does he speak to? A felt need in his real life. A felt need. You know food? You don't eat? Eventually, you're going to die. Hello? You know there's people that starve to death? In a world where we throw food out, there's people that starve to death. And I'm not you know, saying, oh my God, you're bad, you threw food out. Don't feel bad for abundance, but remember people. Give. Be a blessing to people when it's in your ability to do so. So Jesus is, is there and the enemy comes to him and speaks to a felt need and ties a felt need to his identity. Which is like, how do you trigger a man? Oh, oh buddy. When a man is doing good, oh, I'm the provider, I got a little money, I feel great. And then... The cash flow dries up. And all of a sudden, the man learns how to pray. <laughs> oh, all of a sudden, the man learns a little humility. All of a sudden, God is now the provider. Pockets full of cash? You're the provider. No cash flow? God, oh, oh, God, help me. And all of a sudden, we learn how to pray. This is men. This is men. You know what kills a man? That. You know, I read a book by a guy named Tom Rath. And it was a book about well-being. And they said that men, listen to this, recover faster from a death of a spouse or a death of even a child 
faster than they recover from being unemployed for more than two years. That kills a man. Kills him. But look, watch this. And sometimes God wants to kill you. To destroy pride in your life so you know it's him. Watch this. Look what he taught the children of Israel. And this is the people that he loved and brought out of bondage. So this is not God hurting his enemies. This is God actually building truth into his friends, into the people he loves. Look at this in Deuteronomy 8. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord God swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you to know what was in your heart. Do you know that until you're tested, you don't even know you? Do you know one time my pastor said 10, 12 years ago to me, 12, 13, he goes, you're not tested. We don't know. To my face. He didn't say it to the crowd. He looked me dead in the face and goes, you're not tested. You're not tested. You're not tested. We, we don't know until you're tested. To know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you. He allowed you to hunger. Look at the connection to humbling and allowing you to experience a felt need. You know what a felt need is supposed to do? Bring you to him. I got pain in my body. Good. Seek the Lord. Oh, I got a pocket that seemed like it got holes in it. Oh, good. Seek the Lord. I've got a terrible, selfish Wife, good. Learn how to pray. Amen. I've got a husband that needs a raise. No problem. Learn how to pray. You don't know about these kids. Oh, I know you made them. <laughs> That'll teach you how to pray. That'll, when you experience a felt need, it is supposed to produce humility that allows you to understand deeply that you need God. That's, that is a power position. That, you think, the, 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 so in the culture, strong, independent, hustle, grind, no days off, hard work. That's good. But until you know that you need God, that won't last. Because whatever you build with your hands, you'll break with your character. Unless you understand deeply in your spirit that you need God, whatever you build on talent, you will break on a lack of character. We see it in the pulpit. We see it in the marketplace. We see it on Wall Street. We see it on Main Street. And we'll see it on our street <laughs> if we don't repent. So this is okay. Now, don't worry. I got some good encouraging things for you here. So he humbled you. He allowed you to hunger. And he fed you with manna, which your fathers did not know. So he allowed you to experience and to taste the provision of God, which your family didn't experience because they were slaves in Egypt. Some of you are experiencing things your families never experienced. I tell my kids, I go, you don't realize the blessing of God on your life. I told Justice, I said to Justice, Justice, we're going to the New Jersey shore for vacation. Justice looked at me and goes, are you kidding? 
I said to him, are you crazy? We went to Wildhood and Seaside Heights and all those terrible places, and we were happy. I didn't know about an all-inclusive hotel in Dubs 26. You, you don't realize the blessing on your life. Some of you have tasted things your families have never tasted. And God has been good to us, and we, we should be thankful to him. But the testing is actually training. It's not to hurt you. God doesn't test you to, to hurt you. He, he, he tests you to build you. Anything that's real has to be tested. You go and you build a house. Building inspectors coming, framing inspectors, electric, plumbing. Everything is going to be tested. All right. He fed you with manna which your fathers did not know that he might make you, here comes, to know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Your garments did not wear out, nor did your feet swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens, if you're a father, it is your job to chasten your son. Not your wife's job. It's your job to discipline your children. Not out of anger, out of love. Your voice needs to be the voice that they hear. In their mind. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord God chastens you. So he disciplines you because he loves you. So he's testing them to bless them, not to curse them. He brought them out of slavery, out of Egypt, out of bondage, out from Pharaoh's grip. But he's, this is the, what did, it's okay, what did God want them to learn? What, what was the one thing that the scripture just said, not that I think, what did the scripture just say that he wanted them to learn? That man shall what? Not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, your provision is not from bread alone. When God speaks, now the word in the New Testament where Jesus rehearses back this story to the devil, he gives the devil a Bible story. <laughs> he goes, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So the proceeding word from God is the word rhema. Rhema is the prophetic word of God, the now word of God, the God-breathed, God-inspired, right now word of God that unlocks the provision of God. That's why you see all through the prophets, prophets speaking words and provision is released because it is the rhema word that releases the provision and the power of God. So the logos word, the Bible says that the word of God is a lamp unto my feet. So, so the logos is the lamp, it is the standard, but the rhema is the light unto my path. The Bible doesn't say do a church in West New York. That, that was the rhema word when I was trying to sleep in 2014. And the last place in the world I was thinking of is West New York, New Jersey. But that was, that was a light unto our path. So the logos is a lamp. The rhema is a light. And we need both of them. We have to have a respect for the word. If, if we don't honor the word, we don't honor the Lord. If the word isn't the standard, then the feelings are the standard. 
then the desires are the standard. Then the brokenness that came from the childhood that was never dealt with is the standard. So then all these things are, that are actually destructive to us are the standard instead of the one thing that wants to build us. Do you know what Proverbs says about the Word of God? The word, Proverbs says that the Word of God is strength to your bones. Strength to your bones. I never broke a bone. I don't know about you. I don't plan on breaking bones. I'm not breaking bones and you're not breaking my bones. And, but you know, what that, you know what the bones are? The bones are the skeletal structure upon which your life is built. If the Word of God is not the structure of your life, your life will be in chaos. You'll have things going on inside of you that you should not entertain in your mind because they're destructive to you. But since you don't know the Word... You're entertaining what if, what if, what if, what if, and you're living in worry and fear, and you're not living in the favor and in the blessing of what you already have. The enemy does not even want you to enjoy what you already had. Do you know that it's very possible to have things already and still not be able to have the power over them? They have power over you, and you cannot enjoy what you presently have. So anyway... God was teaching them this thing in the wilderness. He wanted to teach them that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So the provision, the favor, the direction, the relationships, all of that is attached to you hearing from God. How do we learn to hear from God? Scripture. You can't tell me that God is not speaking with a closed Bible. Closed Bible, it doesn't seem as if you're interested in hearing from God with a closed Bible. You may say, oh, I'm not really understanding. It's okay. Think of it as putting cash away for a rainy day. You're making a deposit, not a withdrawal. Sometimes you don't understand everything, but you're making a deposit. And I don't know about you, but it's not really exciting to make a deposit. I've never been like, yeah, I just made a deposit. But bam, when you take something out and you go and get something that you want, you feel like, woo! You feel a little, a little more excited. Only me and Jose. Married to. So you're making a deposit in your account. Okay, so when Jesus was face to face with the devil, what did he quote? Scripture. Scripture. Okay. We're almost done. When the religious leaders come to Jesus, this is, I cannot do this today. Oh, no, I cannot. I'm not going to hostage you. <laughs> he just gave me five more minutes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so now the religious folks come to Jesus, and they're trying to trip him up. Now, let, let, me, let me take you to this whole thing. This is a really interesting scene, and I, I cannot really preach through the whole scene. I might preach through the whole scene one day. But what, I, what I'm going to do for you today is take you through the overview. So in Matthew 22, the Herodians come to him, and so the Herodians come with the Pharisees. So the Pharisees get a bad rap, but they're not always all bad, just so you know. So... So the Pharisees and the Herodians come to Jesus and they go, is it lawful for us to pay taxes? What they're trying to do is they're trying to trip Jesus up 
with his words. And the enemy tries to do that with you too, where he, he'll come and he'll try to rattle your cage so you spit out some poison and give him permission to bring destruction into your life. That's why I say watch what you speak because sometimes your words give him authorization. The kingdom is voice activated. You know, you have a voice print that is unique to only you. So you have to watch the words of your mouth. It's better to say nothing than I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, so anyway, they come to him and they're like, okay, so should we pay taxes or not? Jesus kills it. He mic drops them. He goes, show me the coin. Show, show me the denarii. Picks the denarii up. Jesus goes, whose image is on that coin? Caesar's. He goes, render to Caesar's. The things that are Caesar's. Now, the word render there is a fascinating word because it means pay back. So whose image is on the, it's, whose icon is the word image in Greek? Icon. Whose icon is on the, the coin? Caesar. Oh, okay. Give it back to Caesar. So they're trying to trip him up, but they can't. So he, he's really, like Jesus is very loving, but Jesus is not stupid. That's why I tell people I'm born again. I wasn't born yesterday. You know, we're saved. We're not stupid. If it wasn't for Jesus, I'd be selling drugs to your kids. That's true. I told people that. I'm dead serious. Carlos knows it too. Some of us came from somewhere. All right. Now, now the Sadducees. The, the Sadducees are the aristocracy. You know what that means? They're like the bourgeoisie. I hate that word. You know why I don't like that word? Because it's a Marxist word. That's why, you know, when people go, oh, that's bougie. Oh, bougie, you're bougie. That is Marxist language, and I hate it because it destroys human, human, human people that I love people, even if they don't agree with me or like me. I still love them. So I hate that word, bougie, you're bougie. So bourgeoisie, that's a French word. Another word for aristocracy. That's the Sadducees. They're the top, they're the top level. Northern, Bergen County, like top, top, big, big, Alpine. You know what I'm saying? So they do not believe in the resurrection. They're like the conservatives. They're like, they don't, they don't believe in a resurrection. So they ask Jesus a stupid question. They go, so in the resurrection, if, if okay, so if a guy dies, they always ask, religious people always ask dumb questions because they're disingenuous. You can tell the quality of a question based on how genuine it is. So they're trying to trip him up, and they go, so if a guy has a wife, and she dies, and then the brother remarries her, because that was in, according to the Jewish tradition, the brother would take the wife, so the, he, the brother would give her a child, so the family name would continue, because they were about name. That's, that was very important in a, in a tribal culture, it's very about name and legacy. You think that that's not important? You know what? In one generation, Muslims will outvote people in Europe because Muslims have eight to one, six to one, and Christians barely have any children. They will be democratically voted out of their own nations with no violence because Christians don't have children. It's time to wake up. They, they, you want to fly away, they want to take over the world. You, you know, you, you, you want to you go somewhere, they want to build a tower to the sky. We, we got to wake up. Christians are, are sloppy and sleeping. We, we need... I almost slapped myself. <laughs> so anyway, I got into the message. So anyway, Jesus says to them, 
you are mistaken not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God, for in the resurrection neither they marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels of God in heaven. Concerning the resurrection of the dead, you have not read what was spoken to you, saying that I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. These are all people who are dead to the world, but alive in paradise and alive in the presence of God. So Jesus turns the scriptures that they believe on them and then says to them, this is what you believe. You guys are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob people. You guys are the patriarchs, the promises, the da, 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 da. This is what you believe? Cool. He turns the mirror on them and goes, that's what you believe. They don't even know what they believe. I'm telling you, no one is like Jesus. People are not, people, I say this a lot, and I'm so serious. People like the idea of Jesus, not Jesus. Because Jesus always brings forth the, the he confronts the things that people are like. Like all of those difficult conversations that you never want to have, Jesus would be sitting at the table like, hey, hey now, like, let's bring it up. Let's start Thanksgiving off correctly. You know, like, so anyway, so he goes, he says, you go into error, you go astray because you don't know two things, scripture or the power of God. So God wants us to know scripture and God wants us to know the power of God so that we can walk in truth so that we are not led astray. For example, if you don't get in your Bible and you don't read the Bible, how do you know what I'm saying is even right? Fact check me. I know that Joseph's fact checking me. Ray Sean, if I mention something, he's already on Google. He's got three, three artificial intelligence apps open, checking me out of stuff. Check. Search the scriptures. I mean, really, Joseph used to sit there and look at Strong's Concordance in Greek and make sure I'm doing the right thing. Check. That's all right. Check. Anything real doesn't mind being tested. Check. Search. Look. Go. Pry. Get into it. Okay. So then the scribes come. Now the scribes, they ask him a fairly reasonable question. And they say, um, what is the greatest of the commandment? And they butter him up. They go, we know, you know, that you're a great teacher and you don't fear man and you regard God. They do like flattery to like... Try to flatter Jesus. Oh, you're amazing. Oh, you're the best. Uh, Jesus is like. So he gives it to them straight. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first commandment. The second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So all of the law and all of the prophets come down to loving God. If I love God, I'm not putting money before God. If I love God, I'm not putting work before God. If I love God, I'm not putting um, fear before God. If I love God, I'm not going to choose anxiety over God. If I love my neighbor, I'm not going to be trying to sleep with his wife. If I love my neighbor, I'm not going to be mad because he's got a big house. If I'm going to love my neighbor, I'm not going to be mad because he's got a fast truck or fast car. I'm actually happy. That my neighbor is doing well. Because if all of my neighbors are doing well, guess what that means? They don't want what I have. They don't want to run in my house and get my sneakers. If my neighbors are doing well, we are happy. One of the metaphors that God talks about in the age to come is that everyone will have a fig tree. 
Everyone will have the shade and the provision. There will be, there is, in the kingdom, there is enough. In the world, it's limited, so everyone's fighting. You know, why win a rat race and still be a rat? All right. <laughs> right? Why, why, for example, imagine I spend my whole life trying to climb a ladder and I find at 64 years old that the ladder was on the wrong wall. All right, we're almost done. Some of you are already done. All right. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked. Now this, he's about to end the discussion, and when he ends the discussion, I'm going to finish. When the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about Christ? This is so classic. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is Christ. <laughs> People <laughs> can just see him sitting there. <laughs> With a little smirk on. <laughs> so what do you think about Christ? <laughs> like, it's like, you're Christ, you know? Like, okay, so what do you think about Christ? Whose son is he? Now he's going to go to the, the heart of the matter. He's always going straight to the... Okay. They said, the son of David. Biblical answer. These are Pharisees, man. These are like priests. These are like bastards. Like, they better know something. <laughs> they better know at least something, you know? They may not know everything, but they got to know something. <laughs> so, he said, they said, the son of David. Then he said, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord? Now, he's quoting Psalm 110.1 which is the most quoted scripture from the Old Testament in the New Testament, and he's about to mic drop them. Bad. This is, I mean, he really leaves them like, this is it. Sermon over, lunch over, game over, like, this is it. So then, this is Jesus quoting scripture. The Lord said to my Lord, now, if you look in Hebrew, in Psalm 1101, you can fact check me all you want. It says that, Lord, if you look carefully, all of the letters for Lord are capital. Someone reads your Bible. All of the words for Lord are caps, which is in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, where Yahweh is being referred to. Jehovah, Yahweh. Now, it says, The Lord said to my Lord, capital L, lowercase o-r-d, Hebrew rendering, Adonai. So, the Father said to his Son, Sit at my right hand. Remember, Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father do, and I only say what I hear the Father say. So after Jesus is ascended, David prophetically sees into the future. 
He sees the, the ascension and the enthronement of Jesus prophetically because he spent time in the tabernacle. When you spend time in the tabernacle, you see the future. You get crystal clear clarity about eternal things when you spend time in the presence of God. This is, this is very simple but important. So, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So, so he's going to rest his feet on his enemies, which means they're conquered. You don't... <laughs> Okay, do you know, if you look at the next narrative, the people that were yelling crucify him were the same crowd that were the first people to get saved in Acts. And he made his enemies his footstool and he's still making his enemies his footstool. This is what Monica was preaching. You got a lot of preaching today. Making what Saul was his greatest enemy. God said, I'll make you my footstool. And you'll be a chosen vessel. God's, God selects his best guy from his worst enemies. It's like, that's real, counter, that's real counterintuitive. We'll be like, all right, Bin Laden, you're going to be the senior pastor. It's like, whoa, whoa there. You know, God, God is in, in the business of redemption. All right, we're almost done. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? Mic drop. They have no answer. Watch this. When a religious person has nothing to say, <laughs> that's a miracle. And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone question him anymore. Let me give you the New Jersey translation. Dumb questions over. Disingenuous questions over over because they could not answer because they could not see the truth although he was standing right in front of them that's what pride does pride inoculates you to what is right in front of you they thought they knew they didn't know and he gave them living proof of the truth so if they weren't able to get it that day they could revisit it and you know some of us need to revisit things that God has already showed us. That's, that's, you know, we're always looking for something new, 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 but wait a second. Are you faithful with what you have? You want new sneakers, new sneakers, you don't even clean your sneakers. Your sneakers are sloppy. But you want new, 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 you don't take care of. You know, if you cannot keep a small little yard clean, you cannot keep a huge big yard. If you cannot, I mean, this is, this is the basic, if you cannot, you know, you understand. If you're not faithful with little, you, if you will not be faithful with much. If you don't tithe off 100, you will not tithe off 1,000. If you don't tithe off 1,000, you won't tithe off 10,000. If you're not faithful, if we don't care for the people that are here, if we don't facilitate opportunities for the people that are here, what makes you think we deserve more people? 
we're not building an audience, we're building a church. We're not looking for an audience, we're looking for disciples. Are you guys with me? Jesus doesn't go, oh, I'm, I'm here to build an audience, I can't wait. Let's check the metrics. No, he wants to build people that are reliable, that he can count on. People who have experienced his love and are willing to love other people. Now, Jesus is hanging on a cross. Remember that? What did he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know what Jesus is quoting? Psalm 22. So when the pressure was on, Jesus spoke the word of God. This is what I'm trying to say to you. If, if you're like, so what are you saying? Okay, here's what I'm saying. I'm trying to get you, honestly, into a more intimate and ongoing relationship with Jesus by the Holy Spirit through the Scripture. So that's one way. This is like, this is openly my agenda, you know? And, and my other agenda is when pressure comes, and it's coming, like we had, we had our full court press this morning, the sound wouldn't work. The sound, like before you guys came, literally the sound wasn't working. It was insane. And eventually they got it back on. And I said, congratulations, nobody had a meltdown. <laughs> Great, you know. Uh, but, but when pressure comes, pray and speak the word of God. Do not curse your situation. Do not just start complaining and moaning. Pray. The opposite of prayer is complaining. Complaining does not help anyone. There's no solutions in complaining. But prayer, th there, was, there was a solution. I, I get, for me, I was like, man, I'm really figuring out what am I going to do with Kenya? I'm really concerned. I prayed about it immediately. God dropped something in my spirit. Boom. And I had a solution. Just like that. You can complain about something. Or you can pray about it. So you have to choose. Now, for me, I'm, I'm more about solutions, less about feelings. So I don't, complaining doesn't do anything. It's not like I complain and cash starts falling out of the sky. You know what I mean? So you have to just pray and, and let the Lord show you and then move that way. Okay. So when the pressure's on, quote the word and pray. We're almost done, literally. I'm going to read these and I'm done. We will either go to the world... Or to the word for comfort? Where are you going for comfort? Don't answer me. We'll see. We will either go to the world or to the word for counsel. Uh-oh. Do you know, let me just tell you one thing because I have to say this. Do you know that God was speaking to Pharaoh, but Pharaoh couldn't hear him. So God spoke to Joseph about economics and about famine. Remember that? God gave Joseph a 14-year strategy. Stop going to the world. Ask God to show you. I'm going to tell you, I didn't listen to God. And I lost $28,000 one time by not listening. I'm talking to you straight now. I'm not pointing fingers. Final, we will either look to the world or the word as our compass. 
the source in which we find direction. That's what a compass is. So, what is your compass? Is the word the compass or feelings? Where do you get your true north from? In other words, what is the standard from which you're going to decide from? Like, if, for example, let's just say you're going to go buy a car or you're going to buy a house. Once you look at the information that is presented, you have to decide, is this in my best interest or is this a bad idea? So based on your best interest, watch this, you make a decision. Can I tell you something? Your best interest, right here. Do you know why? Because it's not prejudice. It's not biased. It's not sexist, <laughs> all those other isms, what are those words? Give me some more dumb words. It's not any of those things. It deals in truth. It doesn't go, oh, well, you know, you had a poor, rough childhood, so, you know, you can just go ahead and just do dysfunctional stuff. No problem. Oh, well, you know, you had a good childhood, so you're, you're going to pay extra. You know, like, no, no, no. It deals with everyone as they are, where they are, according to God. So it's not like... It's, it doesn't show, fa the, the, there's no favoritism. It's not like, oh, well, you know, you're a pastor, you get a pass. You can just go ahead and curse at people. That's, that's all right, because, you know, you deal with a lot, of, a lot of crap, so you can, you know, talk crappy. No, the scripture calls me into account the same way it calls you into account. All right, let's pray. The good news is this. When you have a standard, you have direction. To be honest, that's good news. Because people who will lie to you will not tell you the truth. But God is not a man that he should lie. And he is not lying to us. He's, he's telling us the truth. So that you can't say later, oh, I didn't know. Oh, I never knew that. No, he's not trying to hustle you. He wants you to know up front what it is. All right? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your truth. And that your truth actually brings freedom to us. It's not to control us, it's not to manipulate us, but it's to bring freedom and truth and peace and joy. So Lord, we embrace your, your word and your truth today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rescue Church podcast. We would love to see you in person. For more information, visit rescuechurch.tv slash invite.